You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Nate Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, uh, you, you've done your work. You've put all of the questions together. You've categorized them uh, and let us, you know, kind of be organized in some way. And whenever I say that something like that, that means we are doing a mailbag. That's exactly what we're doing today. Uh, one, how are you doing? Two, you're ready to go. Three, let's go. I'm feeling very overwhelmed. I'm preemptively overwhelmed by all the questions people had, which uh, thank you guys as always for your interest and for listening. And uh, again, we, we do try to uh, put every question in our list. And again, sometimes just with the number of tweets in particular, um, I'll skip a few here and there. Um, but, you know, even though a lot of times people ask similar questions, we at least try to group them. So uh, we like to shout out everybody who does take the time and we like to give the time back. So we may need to be a little more succinct uh, than normal tonight. But, I mean, when when have we ever actually followed through on that threat? Um, not once, ever. Not once. So um, <laughs> I will, for the, you know, we've probably done, I don't know, like 20, 25 mailbags in the uh, three plus years we've been doing this and you know for the 20 to 25th time I will say that we're going to try to go through questions quickly and then won't um, so we're starting this at the uh, 10:30 central time on Wednesday and uh, we'll see if we actually finish tonight or if we have to uh, you know that's what that's what I was gonna say I, I told you when you said you're feeling overwhelmed I said hey man like if we just want to we just want to wrap it up in and not do anymore, we can do that. That is our right. And we can then prolong the podcast, the, the mailbag on this podcast for a couple more days. So um, if at any point, Frank, you want to tap out, just tap out. That'll be fine. I'll edit it. We'll post it and it'll all be good. So we'll see what, I don't know how many parts of a podcast this will be, but this will be the first part of our mailbag. So off we go. Ryan Schildkraut asks, um, I'm, this looks like not a tweet. Instead, it looks an like email. an email. Uh, so so shout out, Ryan, for emailing us at LockdownBucks at gmail.com. I apologize if this has already been asked and answered on another podcast, but I'm curious whether the Bucks could have signed, still signed Hill to the same or a similar contract to what he received if they had matched the Brogdon offer. I know you've talked about how you can almost view what they did as a trade of Brogdon for Hill and the Pacer draft picks, but was there a scenario where they could have retained Brogdon and Hill at the same salaries that they received? Uh, Frank, I'll, I, I believe this is pretty much the, the way that he's talking about, you know, you know, the Bucks picked Hill and the picks over Brogdon is pretty much how I framed this to you when it first happened. But uh, you're a little bit better with the cap numbers than I am. Was that an incorrect framing or 
what would you say to to that prompt? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I guess without digging really deep in, into the, the cap logistics, I mean, I think the general answer would be, is there some world where you could have gotten George Hill to take less money and kept him and Brogdon? Maybe, um, but I don't think, um, I, I again, you're banking on George Hill taking less money and I I personally think it's probably probably wasn't likely that that uh, you would have pulled that off. And again, if you're also you know giving you're kind of finagling as much cap space as possible, staging the deal such that you can get George Hill on a, uh, a reasonable number, and then you're still going to use the room exception on for Robin Lopez, for instance, um, then you're like really in the <laughs> really in the tax. Um, so again, you know, obviously history suggests the Bucks are obviously not a team that is wanting to pay the luxury tax. So I think it's probably fair to say that, um, you know, viewing it as effectively getting Hill and those three picks, uh, in lieu of, um, Brogdon, um, I think that's a, you know, relatively reasonable kind of way to think about it. Um, that said, you know, could you have kept Brogdon and signed someone perhaps cheaper than Hill and then gotten somebody with that room exception? Uh, yeah, you, you could have still done more stuff. So it's not like it's Brogdon and, you know, then you couldn't have done other things, right? Like, um, you know, I think you can reasonably say, does Wes Matthews sign for you for the minimum on day two of free agency if there isn't a potential starting spot? I don't know if you would, right? I mean, I think there are some interesting questions there. But financially, you could have paid Wes Matthews. You could have signed Kyle Corver to these minimum deals because those, you know, you can always sign those types of contracts. So, um, I think it's a good question. Um, I don't think I don't want to trick people into thinking that you know, uh, not signing Brogdon enabled them to make all these other moves, which would have been impossible if they had paid Brogdon, because that's not that's not true either. Um, but would you have been able to line all of these deals up? Uh, especially Hill and Matthews, you know, for both financial and playing time reasons with Matthews in particular, I think that's fair to question whether you would have still been able to do that. So um, again, sliding doors, who knows? Um, But I I think it's at least reasonable to think about, you know, essentially, uh, I I don't think it's, I think you can make a case Hill plus Matthews and those picks were kind of the the trade-off for for not re-signing Malcolm Buck. Mechanically, could you have done Brogdon and Hill? Like Hill at that exact same number? No. Okay. That that is okay. Good. I I enjoyed the rest of your answer, but I wanted to just make that part clear. Um, no, because you would you, you could not you would have, have needed to keep Brogdon's cap hold, um, and ultimately they didn't. They they traded him and got rid of him first. And anyway, but the, but but yeah, I mean, and again, not that they would have, not that they couldn't have offered Hill anything, but it just would have been less. Okay. That that was the part I wanted to make crystal clear because I, the rest of your reasoning is all good and fine, and I tend to agree with it. That you know, obviously, they're going to look at that as a trade off for Hill plus Matthews and the draft picks. Like that would be how the organization very much view it. But I wanted to make it crystal clear first off that uh, mechanically, yeah, they're, and of course they're going to play it that way because that's more favorable and makes them seem less cheap. Of but, course, yeah. And- there's truth in both sides. Um, all right, let's keep it moving. Gunner Fredrickson emails in and said, I heard a thought on a different podcast about the Bucks signing Eric Bloodstone, roughly three first-round picks for Bradley Beal. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about that trade and where it would leave the point guard rotation for the Bucks. Another one from 
uh, at Spagcore on Twitter. Rumors are swirling about Beal possibly getting moved. Thoughts on a package of blood, Ursan, whatever else it takes for him. His two years left perfectly aligned with the window presented, and more importantly, Thanasis' contract. Um, what is Beal's number? Let's start there. Uh, I think it's mid, it's like, it's mid like to high twenties. Yeah, I don't I don't know off the top of my head. Um, check with, but um, I mean there there's certainly a way that especially it's September twenty seven this year. So um, you know, Ursan plus Bledsoe is enough cap wise. Uh, in general. Um, I mean, I, I just don't see uh, the Bucks having the assets to make that move. Um, I think that's what I was gonna say. Let's start there. That package sucks for Bradley Beal. Yeah, like, if you're the, the Wizards, yeah, like that's good enough to say. Well, well, right? like, what are we, I guess that what, package. What package are you, what specific? How many picks? Because really, like Eric Bledsoe. I mean, as much as like anything can look good with enough picks. Sure. Yeah, I mean Ted Leonsis is like he's like saying we're never gonna tank, and you know we think we can rebuild quickly so i mean okay you could try to say that well they could value eric bledsoe because he's still like a useful nba player but okay well i don't think they're going to be able to trade john wall and so and then your only good player a year from now maybe <laughs> we'll see what john wall looks like when he comes back from his achilles um but then you've got john wall and eric bledsoe who ironically played together and bledsoe backed them up in kentucky that one year i guess um that's pretty freaking weird. Uh, so that, yeah, that's just strange. And I don't think, you know, again, the bucks have limitations on how many picks they can ship out anyway. So um, I, I just, I don't, I just don't see the bucks as really having the the ammo to, to make that deal. But again, maybe stranger things have happened, but I just don't, I, I don't, I do not want bucks fans thinking that like Bradley Beal is like a realistic trade target. Cause I, I just, I don't see it, although, sure, would George Hill, Bradley Beal, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez be a cool lineup? Yeah, that'd be a really damn cool lineup. Um, but it I would just, be. I, uh, I, I just don't think it's probably a realistic thing to expect. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think there's way too many what-ifs in there. Like, you know, if you could get enough first-round picks and, uh, you know, if they could somehow believe that having a – a stopgap Eric Bledsoe for a year before having Wall back, and then think that they could trade Bledsoe for something again. Like uh, to me, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like if if they want to trade Bradley Beal, I think they can do a lot better than what the Bucks have to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with like, like young young players and and other types of assets. Yeah, especially with two years and Beal at twenty seven and twenty eight. Uh, in the next two years, uh, and that's million. That's his contract and his age being his twenty six is age twenty six season is age twenty seven season. Like you can do better than that. Like, you you just can. Um, so I I think that's a, a good way to approach it. That it isn't incredibly realistic to think that the Bucks can somehow make all of that work. All right. Ryan from Minneapolis. I have two initial questions and then I'll elaborate on them a little bit below. Uh, Ryan did not get the message that we're going to keep this a little bit shorter and more succinct, but that's okay. We did not give him that message. So number one, do you foresee any likelihood that the Bucks look to trade Bledsoe, maybe Ilyasova together around the trade deadline? Two, what do you foresee as the role of DJ Wilson as the season starts and then as the season progresses? For question number one, I keep thinking about the possibility that the Bucks look to trade Bledsoe and Ilyasova and maybe picks to get Bradley Beal or another good available player around the trade deadline. With Bledsoe's playoff woes, is it likely Bucks try to use him in trade talks to upgrade to another playmaker? Uh, for question two, I'm thinking it seems like at season start, his role will be small, re-DJ Wilson, but do think but do you think that might pick up as the season progresses, especially if the Bucks try to get rid of Ilya Silva's contract via trade? Let's start here. 
I keep seeing Bucks fans talk about trading Eric Bledsoe because he's not very good in the playoffs. You know who else sees the playoffs? Everyone. Everyone sees it. So, like, it, like it, it, the, the way that he kind of gets talked about is like, oh, you know, the, the Bucks could really pull a quick on, on someone if they, you know, trade Eric Bledsoe and, you know, try to sell people on his regular season prowess. And it's like, well, they, they could also see that he wasn't successful in the playoffs. And his regular season prowess, his only really – his best season was last year. Like, the other times where he's gone to crappy teams – He's been disengaged. He's been like he hasn't been locked in. I mean, even on the forty-four win Bucks team, there was plenty of times where he was unengaged. Last year was literally his best year as a pro. Uh, so I, I think that's one thing I I, I just want to mention as I keep seeing Eric Bledsoe trade rumors tossed around is that like all of the things that you're seeing as a Bucks fan, everyone else sees. Like it's it's not like you're going to be able to you know pull the like, like you're not gonna be able to pull a fast one on the rest of the league. Like they all see those things. So like that, that would be my first thing. And, and again, is it likely that they could trade Bledsoe? It's certainly possible. Um, but I think you also have to keep in mind your backup point guard is George Hill. And I don't know if you want George Hill playing all that much more than 25 minutes a night. Like I, I just don't know that, that that's a, a good, good place for him to be. So if you're looking to trade Bledsoe for two, then all of a sudden you're going to be looking to upgrade your one as well because now you only have George Hill at point guard. So I think, you know, like I get it because that of the people that, you know, underperformed in the playoffs, Bledsoe was probably near the top of the list. And, uh, you know, of the contracts that you might not like, like maybe Bledsoe is one that you want to get rid of. But, uh, you know, in looking to trade someone, no matter who it is, like you want to get good value. And I don't know if, if there is that good value uh, to be had in trading Bledsoe. So I guess I will now pose, after that long rant, I will now pose question number one. Do you foresee any likelihood that the Bucks look to trade Bledsoe and maybe Ilya Sova together around the trade deadline? Um, I mean, Bledsoe in general, I don't think it would be shocking if he was a trade candidate. I mean, again, like I don't think you can really hope for him to be much better than he was last year during the regular season. But obviously... The challenge is, well, this team's focus is now the playoffs. And if guys are, you know, playing, have a history of playing well under their, you know, expectations in the playoffs, then is that a guy you really want around, right? Like, do you believe that that guy can kind of get his act together? And with with Eric, unfortunately, I think that's a reasonable question, um, just based on kind of what we've seen from him mentally not being able to get over the hump um, against Boston two years ago and last year against the Raptors. I think if um, when I think about trades uh, involving Bledsoe, I mean, my guess is it would have to be him going to a team that like is a, you know, is trying to raise its regular season floor or, you know, kind of get into the playoffs and and isn't looking at like, oh, is Eric Bledsoe going to be the missing piece for us to compete for a championship? Um, And so, I mean, just kind of like eyeballing like the rest of the league, you know, like, you know, Minnesota with Jeff Teague, I think Jeff Teague's expiring, you know, been talk of him not being, you know, a guy that necessarily is very prioritized long-term by Minnesota, especially with Gerson Rosas being there now. They obviously didn't sign him. You know, the coaching staff has been turned over since Teague first got there. Again, like, is Jeff Teague an exciting option? No, I've never loved Georgia. Jeff Teague, I didn't like him when he signed for Minnesota, but um, could he have been, would he have been better than, 
Eric Bledsoe against the Raptors last year, like by default, I assume yes. Um, so like as a change of scenery, dump Bledsoe's contract type move, um, I think, you know, again, there are definitely um, deals that, that make a lot less sense to me than, than something like that as sort of like, and to me, that would be more like a panic move probably. Um, kind of a similar thing, Goran Dragic, I think he's like up, he's like making like 19 this year, expiring in Miami. Um, again, like does what Goran Dragic generally does, like would that have gotten you over the hump against the Raptors? Probably. I mean, it's kind of depressing to say it, but um, Dragic is similarly like, you know, a guy who's older, he's expiring, you know, he's a proven kind of veteran guy. Again, is he going to perform at the highest level the way, you know, you want from a starting caliber point guard? I don't know about that, uh, given his age and kind of where he's at. I mean, we saw him come off the bench late in the season um, at times for the Heat. Um, You know, his sort of long-term trajectory is obviously on the downward spiral. But, um, you know, if, again, if Bledsoe is kind of, you know, you're, you're not seeing, um, let's say good signs from Bledsoe. Uh, if you're seeing him backslide into maybe some of the habits you, uh, had him avoiding last year, uh, and you're just skeptical that he's going to be what, you know, come what you need in the playoffs again, you know, a Dragic or a Teague move, not particularly inspiring. Um, but again, like if you really don't believe in, in Bledsoe in the playoffs, um, those guys could be options just as far as like reset buttons. Like they actually can start for you somewhat credibly, um, but then you don't have to pay them next year and you can kind of figure out what you want to do. Again, that's not necessarily an easy thing though, because, you know, are the Bucks going to have cap space then to like go out and spend uh, a ton of money on, on, on a replacement? Uh, no, uh, they're, they're not going to be able to do that. So um so it's, it's definitely kind of a, a challenging spot in general to kind of figure out, you know, what, what you're going to do at that point. Um, uh, and other than that, I mean, there's like other kind of like, you know, like the bulls, like, Oh, like God, like, you know, could you get freaking Zach Levine for something involving Bledsoe? Like very possibly. Right. But do you want that? You know, so I, I think that's the sort of what I'm thinking. Like, um, I mean, things change quickly in the NBA. Uh, wouldn't shock me if, again, like, does Bledsoe have some slippage? Is there some, you know, other issue that kind of maybe drives uh, a desire to get off of him as a contract? Again, wouldn't shock me, although I'm obviously, you know, hopeful that uh, that he figures things out and that you can stick with him and that he ultimately figures it out in the playoffs. I mean, that would be obviously my, my preference uh, as a fan. But, um, you know, again, that's I think that's an important question the Bucks are going to have to figure out. And um, I mean, To be clear, playing. like, those are scenarios where you're n- not necessarily – like, you're offloading Bledsoe. Like, I, I want that part to be clear. Like, you, you just threw out some scenarios, and those are scenarios where you don't want Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, you're not hitting a home run because it's like, oh, we had a chance Correct. to add Goran Dragic. It's like – no, that was like, oh crap! Like, we're we're worried Bledsoe's wheels are going to come off, and Correct. we're hitting the eject button, basically. Okay, um, like I said, I just want to make that clear because so often when you know people are putting together fake trades, it's like, all right, this is the person that we're trading, and we're going to put a we're going to make a package around him because his contract makes sense. But well, the reason we're trading him is because we as fans don't actually want him. But now that we're trading him, he's worth a lot. Well. No, that's not how it works. So I just want to make that clear with with blood. So I think or, or hey well. Ter- Terry Rozier, you know, if the Hornets realized oh, that, oh, that oh. they didn't want to make that Terry Rozier oh. trade again, 
is Terry Rozier good value at 19 million a year? I don't think so. But um, I mean, we've heard rumors of the Bucks being interested in Rozier, maybe not this year, but actually I think around the uh, before they actually traded for Bledsoe, I think there was talk that they looked at kind of kicked the tires on Rozier. So um, you know, you never you never know. I, my hope is that uh, Bud has no uh, lasting love for Dennis Schroeder because I don't want them to swap like Bledsoe for Schroeder or something. Um, but uh, anyway, these are de- very definitely very much downside scenarios that I hope we, we don't have to face. All right. Uh, question number two there. What do you foresee as the role of DJ Wilson as the season starts and then as the season progresses? And um, I have an article coming out at The Athletic tomorrow that looks at the Bucks rotation and kind of how things are uh, going to go next year. And uh, this is – they asked me at The Athletic, hey, can you fill out, you know, night one, here's the rotation – this is what it looks like. And I, I made a, a bunch of complaints and said, like, I don't want to do this because the Bucks rotation is going to change a lot as the year goes on. But in that night one rotation, I don't have DJ Wilson. A guy I have Urson is one of two backup bigs with Robin Lopez. So for me, I don't, I don't foresee him having a huge role as the season starts. Like, will he get a chance at some point? Yeah, probably. Um, but just from the way that John Horace talked about Robin Lopez and the fact that, you know, they could have one of the Lopez brothers on the floor for 48 minutes and the defense can look the same for 48 minutes if they so choose. Like to me, that suggests, okay, that's, that's your pretty much your, your center backup big. And then you have 33 minutes from Giannis at power forward. So you have 15 other minutes to, to mess around with. And I mean, seems like Ursan would fill those. Uh, like it feels like Bud would choose to have Ursan do that rather than DJ. And again, maybe he grows into something else or maybe he has a great summer and he looks really great on night one. But uh, for me at this moment, I don't foresee him having a huge role as we, as we kick the season off. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I agree. I think Rolo is probably the safest bet just because he doesn't have another, you know, traditional center to kind of, duke it out with for minutes um i mean i think we saw enough last year like i mean i think you can absolutely play ursan and dj in combination with Giannis lineups um and and not even have to play uh, a center with those guys i mean you know brooke was really for the last half of the season pretty much the only uh true center that ever played um and uh, again i mean i think the miritich Ilya silva lineups were concerning defensively but you know, I think DJ, obviously, with his activity and versatility defensively and Giannis being Giannis, um, that gives you a lot of flexibility to kind of do different things. So, um, so yeah, I would agree. Rolo is probably the safest bet. And then, um, you know, I think until Bud proves otherwise, you know, you're going to assume that Bud is going to give give Versailles the benefit of the doubt. And so I think kind of the pressure is on DJ to really, like, go out and, and win those minutes and earn those minutes. Uh, and probably the... Maybe the, the the way that he might have still gotten minutes, um, even with those guys playing, would be if you know Giannis kind of played uh, a fair amount of three again this year, um, and we saw more kind of jumbo lineups. Maybe that would open up you know more minutes for DJ. Um, I mean, we know DJ can you know defend down, um, but I think just his lack of kind of ball handling and just lack of dynamism offensively. I mean, you're not going to want to play him at the three, for instance, um, especially with some of the the shooters, more dynamic guys you have um, that you can put, put out there offensively. So I think kind of ironically, I mean, it's like adding like all these guys to the wing rotation. I mean, the fact that like 
you know, I mean, between West Matthews, Corver, Connaughton, Sterling Brown, um, you know, if Dante is healthy, um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people, obviously Middleton starting, um, between all those guys, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is, is Giannis even going to play much at the three? Like, um, it's just all this stuff kind of, you know, again, you don't think of like Corver replacing DJ in any way, but kind of in really indirect ways, you know, all these signings kind of have impacts on one another just because the way they push, push the, the, the rotations around from kind of one position to another. So, um, so yeah, I think definitely the kind of gauntlet's been thrown down for DJ. And again, I'm, you know, a fan of his, I, I hope he proves kind of what we hope he can be, uh, and wins those minutes. And, you know, I think obviously his, I think long-term ceiling obviously is, is higher than Ursan's with this team, but um, whether we see that next year obviously is is a question. And again, you know, that, that won't make, uh, you could argue, well, that makes, you know, DJ might be, help his, uh, you know, you could extend him maybe next summer more cheaply <laughs> if, uh, if he doesn't play a whole lot. But um, I'd say if he doesn't play a whole lot, that also means it's more likely you know, wait still restricted free agents anyway that you're after. So, um, so yeah, definitely um, not definitely at the beginning of the summer. We thought there was, a, I think a clearer path for DJ Wilson to be a more regular contributor. And now obviously that's, it's a question, but the flip side is depth is good. You know, having good players is good. And mm-hmm. you know, DJ Wilson is an odd man out. Then that should mean that you have a lot of guys that, that are good NBA players who, who are in the rotation. Justin Hall asks, my question is, what do you anticipate the Bucks' death lineup will be, and is it good enough to beat the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals? Um, I guess I'll – I can start on this one. And I guess it's kind of a question to you. Did the Bucks have a death lineup last year? I mean, I think it pretty much just was their starting lineup, right? I mean, you know, I, I mean, when I think of the death lineup, I mean, you know, obviously the, the real death lineup was – you know, when the Warriors went with Draymond at center and then, you know, sort of had a couple of variations, whether it was initially Harrison Barnes and Iguodala, Steph and Clay, that was sort of the, the initial iteration. And then obviously <laughs> the embarrassment of riches of being able to swap Kevin Durant in there for uh, Harrison Barnes. Um, so, I mean, I, I, when I think of death lineup, to me, it's I, the connotation is, you know, having just like a super switchable front line with, you know, Draymond in particular. Um I, I don't think the Bucks do that specifically. You know, I think a couple of years ago, pre Brooke Lopez, we would have said, oh, you know, Giannis, point center Giannis. Like when we see that, then we can see the Bucks kind of run their, you know, death lineup sort of version. Um, but, you know, like you, I mean, you, you talk about this a lot going into last season. Like why do the Bucks need to go small in the first place anymore? You know, they have big guys who can shoot. So yeah. what's the point? So um, stylistically, I don't think the Bucks are going to have a death lineup because I don't think they're going to, you know, need to play Giannis at center in order to get shooting around him because they have big guys who can shoot. Um, but I, I think as far as like what their closing lineup would be, um, I mean, I think the best five they can roll out is basically the starters plus George Hill and in place of, you know, Wes Matthews or whoever is the starting shooting guard. Um, so I think that would be the, the obvious kind of, you know, try to stop it lineup that you can roll out there. Yeah. Um, and last year, that was my thought as well, yeah. that it would be like going small with Hill and Bud. Yeah. And the only difference, and I mean, Hill isn't even that small because right. he, he has good wings, man. He's a good right. Fan. And the only difference there is, um, you know, last year again, I mean, I think certainly there were nights where Hill was, was better than either Bledsoe or Brogdon. Um, but typically you were going to stick with those guys late in games. Um, whereas this year, you know, obviously Brogdon, uh, is a big, you know, void in terms of just, you know, 
overall quality of play. I mean, Wes Matthews, if he starts, isn't just isn't on that level. And I think George Hill, just because his you know versatility, handling, shooting, and defending you know both backcourt spots. Um, again, I just think that's a, a better weapon for you than, than anything that the other wings can give you. So um, it will be it'll be interesting to see kind of what they what they do. But uh, I think that certainly is kind of the obvious one for me. Yeah, I keep thinking with the closing lineup, like I think George Hill's in there. I'm just not sure if he takes out Eric Bledsoe or, or Wes Matthews. Like uh, to me, that's kind of the question because you know if you put Hill out there, then you have four guys that all shoot thirty eight percent or better on their career from three. I, or I, Brooke Lopez, not for his career, but as of late, like, like you have four legitimate shooters on the floor with Giannis if he comes in for Bledsoe instead. Um, so part of me wonders if that would be the way to go. But yeah, I could see George Hill being a part of that closing lineup. And, so I, I would agree. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and just as far as data goes on this, um, not a lot of uh, reps for that group last year uh, per cleaning the glass. Only 69 possessions total last year where that fivesome played together, which is kind of remarkable, right? I mean, Hill was around most of the season. Obviously, Brogdon was out for a while. Um, so, you know, you kind of look at it. It's kind of funny that that, that wasn't really an, a lineup that we saw very much. And obviously part of that... Also, they didn't really need to close games. Yeah, like, that's that, that helps too, yeah. But in 69 lineup, 69 possessions in the regular season, so small sample size alert for sure. Um, 109 offensive rating, not great. 72 defensive rating plus 37 points per 100. So, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt because that's not a, a whole lot of sample. But um, they were they were quite quite good um, when they when they were with that group in the regular season. Uh, but just to remind you that the regular season um, that 69 possessions is not a lot. Um, here is the here are the numbers on that group in the playoffs. 31 possessions, even smaller sample. 90 points per 100 which is in the zeroth percentile, awful, and 132 points per 100 allowed defensively, <laughs> minus 42 net rating. So um, I'd say you can punt pretty much all of those numbers, the regular and playoff seasons, uh, out the window um, because, again, it's probably too small to really take anything meaningful from it. But I would guess we will see a much much, uh, much realer sample size this year. Justin's second question was, and is it good enough to beat the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals? And... Like I, I don't know if this is a contrarian viewpoint. I, I really don't. I, I, I just don't get the Sixers. Like I know they're they're going to be like very good, and I'm not trying to say that they're not the second best team in the East. But like I just don't really like I don't I don't get adding Horford. Like I, I just think of like how they closed games this year, and it was pretty much like, hey Jimmy, here's the ball, go to work, and now they don't have Jimmy Butler. So like uh, late, I think you go to Embiid and I mean, that just means the other team's big isn't going to cover Embiid and he's like at, at times he's, he's prone to jacking up jumpers and you, you know, I think most teams kind of live with that. So I like, I, I just don't understand how it all fits together. And I get, I, I know that they can be really good defensively, like with Simmons, uh, Josh Rich- Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, uh, Joel Embiid. Like that could be just a monster defensively, but I also just don't really get what they do late in games. Like I'm not sure how that's all going to work. Do you have any of those same concerns? Am I crazy? Like, and just like talent will win in the end, but um, 
I don't know if it does. What, what do you think? Well, I think if, I mean, if the argument is that um, the Horford signing is great because you can pair Horford and Embiid, I, I don't, I think that actually is kind of the wrong, the wrong reason why this could really work out well for the Sixers. I mean, the Sixers were oftentimes just crushed when Embiid rested. And so to me, the huge value of Horford is that suddenly like you've got 48 minutes of kind of like all-star-ish center you have to play against and, you know, defensive kind of anchor. And again, in different ways, um, but you've got, you know, with Horford staggering, obviously Horford's still going to start, but you can stagger those minutes such that, you know, Al Horford is auto- suddenly like, you know, you're the best backup center that, that you're, you know, that any team has to throw out there. Um, so I think the the fact that they're not going to have big drop-offs or, or as, you know, I'd say stark drop-off when Embiid is sitting, I think is probably the biggest value of, of signing Horford. Um, and, you know, I think, I don't know, I just feel like people kind of maybe look at it the wrong way because, Actually, I think Zach Harper at the Athletic uh, had some comment about like, "Oh, the the Sixers can now put Simmons on Giannis and then have Horford and Embiid defending the rim behind him." And it's like, well, who are who are Embiid and Simmons defending if Giannis is being defended by Ben Simmons? Who, I mean, I think Ben Simmons has proven to be a fantastic like perimeter defender, like defender of small guys, like. He's remarkable, especially for a guy who like just seems kind of disinterested in a lot of aspects of the game. Like his ability to kind of lock down defensively on the perimeter is like pretty remarkable for a guy 6'2", 240 something, right? I mean, terrific, you know, tools, I think defensively, you know, what he did at times against T'Angelo Russell. And, you know, so I, I think we've seen like, you know, Ben Simmons, like historically has not wanted anything to do with Giannis, right? The you're a fucking baby. <laughs> Uh, moment being kind of the most obvious example of that. But, um, you know, if if Embiid is guarding Brooke Lopez and Al Horford is guarding Chris Middleton, like, what, you know, what like what, you what, so yeah. what, how would that work? Like, yeah, I mean, you absolutely have to have one of those guys defend Giannis. And I think one-on-one in a half-court setting, I think they're, they're both really, really well-suited to doing that relative to the rest of the NBA. So, I mean, I don't know why you'd ever not do something like that. Um, but yeah, the downside is one of those guys then has to stand around the perimeter guarding Brooke Lopez. And that obviously, you know, mitigates a lot of the kind of defensive benefit of, of having those types of guys. And also why, you know, again, Brooke Lopez is, is so essential because he can provide, you know, a formidable kind of rim protecting presence on, on the one end and not like be some kind of pushover defensively while still giving you that, that floor stretching ability on the other side. So, um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be, I am really curious to see how they kind of match up just cause um, you know, I, I would say in general, like you look around to the kind of biggest competition that the bucks are going to have, like you look at like the title favorites um, you know, in the East Philly, they're not going to play anybody smaller than Josh Richardson. They're not going to play a traditional point guard. So Eric Bledsoe has no like natural person to defend slash defender. Um, and you look at, you know, like the Lakers, if you met them in a hypothetical finals matchup, it doesn't seem like they necessarily are going to start a real point guard. Um, so it's kind of a weird, it's a weird dynamic, right? And even the Clippers, um, I mean, I guess they're going to start Pat Bev, who's obviously a point guard, but is not like a, you know, traditional bring it up, run the offense, run pick and roll type guy either. So it's fascinating how a lot of the top kind of contending teams now 
really are, are not at all built around sort of anything resembling a traditional point guard, which I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see kind of like what that means for Eric Bledsoe. I think it means probably Eric Bledsoe is going to be dared to shoot a lot of shot, a lot of jump shots um, because they don't really have guys who are going to want to kind of go out and really defend him, lock him down on the perimeter. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think Philly, I, I'm really curious. I mean, I think Philly, Philly could win a ton of regular season games just because they're going to have that again, that little drop off. Um, that said, I'm curious you know, it does this, is this a season maybe we saw Horford have knee injuries last year? Like, do they just end up, you know, does he have nagging injuries? Do they load manage the hell out of him? That wouldn't surprise me one bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they are less well balanced this year than last year. But, you know, again, Jimmy Butler is such a polarizing presence. Um, but he's, you know, a, again, he's a killer a late, game, player, like late in games. Yeah, you'd rather. Yeah, you'd rather have a player like Jimmy Butler. Who isn't Jimmy Butler? I could see the argument. Yeah, I can see the argument for not having Jimmy Butler specifically. Um, but, I mean, I think the biggest thing with, with Philly was that they had a great save of their offseason, right? Like, it, I mean, when with the talk of Butler wanting to leave, you know, it was like, oh, oh, crap. And then J.J. Redick signs with New Orleans. I'm, you know, as a Bucks fan, I was like, oh, this is awesome, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're the guy who, like, is the most dynamic shooter. They run all these handoffs for J.J. Redick. Um, he's gone, and now what? And so for them to net a player as good as Josh Richardson in that sign-and-trade, um, and then to you know land, a, obviously, a player of, of Horford's caliber via free agency, you know, again, like it would manage to, I think, maintain their general talent level, even if um, the fit is a little bit, a little bit weird. All right. Um, I'm thinking let's try to knock out these two, and then we might be done for the night. Um, Zach Vincent. Ask, you've been critical of ownership for not matching Brogdon's deal. While I agree it makes them worse this year, I think not having his contract plus getting three draft picks might be a, pu- a huge positive over the next few years. If you were GM, how would you balance this year versus wanting to have multiple championship windows throughout Giannis's prime? I would start by saying Giannis's prime is not guaranteed in Milwaukee. Like that, that to me is the biggest thing. I've said on this podcast for, I mean, we're going on two years now. The only thing that matters for this franchise is getting him to sign. Like that's it. Like it, it, every question or every signing, every move, every decision, the question that should be asked is, uh, and uh, it feels weird saying this, but it might not even be, does this make us closer to being a championship team? It is, it does this make us closer to getting Giannis to sign on the dotted line? Many times that will, those things will overlap. Uh, you put them on a Venn diagram, they might be overlapping circles that, yeah, being a much better team, being a team that can win a championship this year means it'll be an even better chance for Giannis to sign. Um, but, you know, as far as long-term planning, do I think, you know, maybe taking a, a small step back this year to position yourself better for two to three years after uh, helps you re-sign Giannis? I don't know. I don't know that it does. Like I, I don't know that it makes you, it gives you any better chance to sign him uh, to the supermax extension when he's eligible next July. Like I, I do think there, there is something to be said for really going for it this year, really trying to make a deep run this year, and really you know trying to capitalize on those good vibes with Giannis and you know make him realize that you can be really good here in Milwaukee and you can be really good with this core. I think those things, those things like that really matters to me. So um, 
for me, balancing this year versus multiple championships, I don't know that I'd have or multiple championship windows, excuse me, uh, throughout Giannis's prime. I I don't know that I'd have much of a balance. I would be focused on this year. Like I would be focused. Uh, July first next year is my focus. Like that that is what I'm worried about and what I am working on for the next. It's less than 365 days now. The next 300. 45 days or whatever, maybe three, like that's it. That's the only thing that matters is Giannis signing that contract. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there are, this is anytime we talk about trade-offs um, we can talk about the fact that you're always going to get the only gauge of, of success and failure at this point is just going to be, you know, did you win a championship or not? And um, you know, if you, if you trade off the long term for uh, you know, less talent in the short term, then, um, you know, if you don't keep Giannis, then you failed. If you don't win a championship down the road, you failed. <laughs> so, um, and likewise, if you, you know, do go hard in, you know, if you, uh, if you match the Brogdon offer sheet, uh, if you kind of do everything you can, luxury tax and long-term cap held be damned, um, then uh, you better win in the short term and you better keep Giannis because, um, a few years from now, we're probably going to say, man, paying Malcolm Brogdon and Chris and Giannis uh, and Bledsoe, it means this is pretty much the team. And if any of those guys slip, you know, you're going to be, you're, you know, you're going to immediately be second guess, right? So, um, so anyway, so yeah, it's, it, again, I, I think, you know, um, as we've said, you know, the, 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 the bird in the hand thing, the, um, here and now thing the you just won 60 games and have the MVP and you want to keep that guy because he's the MVP this probably seems like a good idea you know the easy answer is um, is just run it back as much as you can and obviously the Bucks opted to, to not do that and there are you know absolutely paths where that leads them to um, still competing for a championship next year and still having a chance to maybe have a longer more extended um, run with Giannis, provided you can get him signed on the dotted line. So um, I, I think there are arguments both ways. Um, I think, you know, again, in the grand scheme of summers, um, this one actually worked out pretty well for the Bucks. And I think, you know, the the most complicated aspect of judging it is that because you did kind of pull, pull in some longer term assets, um, you can't really close the book on it yet, right? You can't say like, well, yep, this is the team. Um, and, you know, they're working on it, um, you know, they can make a trade midseason at this point, which I think if you max Brogdon or not max Brogdon, but sign Brogdon for all that money, you're probably not going to be doing a lot of dealing in season unless you're doing kind of less exciting things like trading Urson for another okay player like Urson. All right. Um, I think last question for this part of the podcast will come from your former podcast partner, the one that I came uh, here and ended up replacing, first joined and you know made it a trio, and now uh, you know taking his spot eventually, it comes from Steve Von Horn on Twitter at Steve Von Horn. Is anyone the Bucks added to the roster this offseason capable of providing better playoff minutes than Brogdon did this past season? If so, is it likely? Finally, how heavily does this factor into your assessment of the offseason? Um, I mean, I think the the first part of this question that needs defining is 
how good Malcolm Brogdon was in the playoffs. I think you you kind of have to start there uh, and actually think about just how good he was. Uh, and, you know, there were certainly games where I thought he, he made a big impact. I also thought there were games where, you know, he didn't, he didn't look very good. And I, you know, John Horst used the, the phrase internal evaluation a bunch of times in my conversation with him uh, that I had at the athletic the other week. But, you know, I think any internal evaluation has to say that, Oh, you know, well, he was, he was hurt during two playoffs. Like he was like that. That was something that happened with Malcolm Brogdon was that he was hurt for two playoffs this year. He was 13 points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game, uh, field goal percentage. Let's see. 44 45%, 45%, 45%, 45%, yeah. a 38% from three. Um, so not as good as it was in the regular season. Free throw percentage was 63%, a very small sample size, but still uh, not as good. So uh, I guess with that in mind, how, how do you feel about that question? Like, do you think anyone the Bucks added to the roster this offseason is capable of providing better minutes than that? Um, yeah, I mean, important to note on Brogdon, I mean, basically his entire playoffs came, six out of the seven games came in that Toronto series. So, you know, he his numbers came sort of in the, most difficult series the Bucks faced. Um, so, you know, again, he's low average efficiency, 55% true shooting. You know, you mentioned the other numbers, not kind of as good as obviously as his regular season, but, you know, compare it to some of the other guys in that series. I mean, did he have a better series, uh, especially offensively than Eric Bledsoe? Absolutely. Did he have a better offensive series than uh, Chris Middleton? Yeah, probably. And I think, you know, defensively, that series actually went really well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. You think he was better than Chris offensively that series? Uh, I mean, I think he was more efficient off scoring. I mean, Chris averaged what probably about similar numbers, right? He Chris didn't score much other than that one game, um, and I'd say defensively pretty comparable because they both sort of had to deal with Kawhi, and I thought they both did a nice job. Chris defended him more, um, but I thought actually it kind of played well to Malcolm's strengths because he kind of just used his strength and wasn't having to defend Kawhi like kind of a guard, which is probably more of the limiting thing for him. Um, so again, I mean, I think, you know, in the grand scheme of, um, a, a playoff series against an opponent like that, I think Malcolm played pretty well. Yep. Uh, you know, you mentioned coming back from the injury the year before against Boston, he was pretty terrible. Um, so, uh, you know, again, much better this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, was he lights out? No. Um, and obviously neither Malcolm nor anybody else was able to, save the Bucks half court offense ultimately when it kind of all was said and done. So um, I think is, do you expect that any of the Bucks signings specifically like a West Matthews is going to quote unquote replace that? No, I don't think so. Um, now could West Matthews get hot and, you know, help you like be a huge factor in like winning a couple games because he just gets lights out from long range. Like I could definitely see that. Um, but again, I think it's going to have to be a lot more, um, of, you know, a collective effort. And I think it's going to have to do a lot more with, um, you know, the main guys stepping up and taking on more of um, a burden as well. Um, I think um, I think we have another question. I'll just reference it. Um, I'll, I want to find it because we can effectively cross it off the list. There, there was just a question. I think it was from uh, our friend Dan Schaefer, um, uh, the new author of the uh, Recombobulation Area check that out uh he's putting out a weekly um 
weekly articles about uh, Milwaukee and Wisconsin and um, actually real things that matter, not just sports. Uh, shout out to Dan <laughs> being a real journalist. Uh, but uh, Dan, mentioned Middleton, you? Yeah, Dan mentioned Middleton put up better raw numbers when Brogdon was hurt last year. Do you think that's something that continues or did, you, did he just get hot? Um, I actually think there probably is something to that. I mean, I think Chris is going to have to um, take on, you know, a little bit more of a shot creation burden. I think, um, you know, again, just taking him out of the lineup uh, or taking, you know, Brogdon out of the lineup, I think, um, again, not that not that West Matthews isn't going to shoot or, or something like that, but um, you know, you just kind of look at the numbers. I don't think it's necessarily um, a coincidence that in um, post All Star, you know, Chris averaged twenty one points, six point three rebounds, four point five assists in twenty three games, and you know, I think Malcolm missed most of I think most of those games. Um, so I think that's definitely something that that we could see. Uh, Chris maybe getting a little bit higher volume offensively. And I think that's really important because, again, Wes Matthews doesn't replace Malcolm Brogdon. Um, George Hill doesn't replace Malcolm Brogdon. Cal Corver doesn't replace Malcolm Brogdon. None of those guys are direct replacements, and you know, especially from a shot creation standpoint. So um, I think it's, you know, especially with that big contract, I think we'd all feel a lot better, um, you know, if Chris can kind of maybe, and again, 20 points per game, there's nothing kind of like inherently magical about that. But I think psychologically, um, it would probably make people feel better uh, than if he was averaging, you know, 90.9 points per game. So my hope is that, um, you know, Chris is up for a little bit more of that, uh, that shot creating burden. And, and certainly with, especially with, I mean, the numbers with Giannis off the floor last year were pretty remarkable. I mean, he scored a ton, uh, in terms of volume. And, um, I think it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, Brogdon was often that like, uh, carry the second unit guy last year. And I'm curious if, um, we see more staggering of Chris and Giannis, which I think would probably be a good thing. So I was going to say one thing that Steve referenced in that question is if so, is it likely? No. And, you know, I think that that's the big thing, right? Like is like, you can definitely see ways in which the, the off season additions could swing playoff games, right? Like I, I think you could certainly during that Raptor series when they were just starved for space, Sure, bringing Kyle Korver for five minutes in the second quarter and, you know, maybe hits four threes in five minutes. and Or maybe they just have to cover him everywhere and Giannis is able to get a little bit looser, get a few easier baskets. And it's like, yeah, that that could have really, you know, opened up a, a one of those games against the Raptors. Maybe that helps them win, you know, one of those final four games. And you can you can picture that happening. Uh, and you know it could possibly occur, but you are looking at, you know, a, an incredibly talented basketball player. And, you know, I, I guess I'll handle that final part of Steve's question. You know, how, how heavily does this factor into your assessment of the offseason? And I think it's it's a huge part of how I assess this offseason. And, you know, I think throughout throughout really all of our time together on this podcast, uh, all of our time-consuming basketball top level talent wins in the postseason like the the patchwork position of a shooting guard or the patchwork bench mob or all that stuff like it's it's cute and it's good during the regular season and and having that depth is going to help you win a bunch of games and you know i think that can happen again for the bucks where they win 55 plus games again this year like i think all of that can happen and those acquisitions really help with that. But when it comes down to the Raptors have you locked up and you can't do a damn thing, who's going to help 
you out in that situation. And, you know, if the question is giving Wesley Matthews the ball and seeing what he can do with it, well, it's probably going to be a step back three or a step back jumper. And could they go in? Possibly. But do you want to bet your season on it? No. Same thing with Kyle Corbett. Like, okay, maybe he can hit a couple tough threes uh, because that's what he's done his entire career. He's one of the best shooters uh, of all time. Maybe that can happen, but, you know, probably not. Like that, that might not be, uh, you know, the thing that you, it's, I would guess it's probably not the thing you want to bet on. So uh, to me, that the fact that none of those guys are likely to outplay Malcolm Brogdon and what he did last year weighs heavily into how I assess this offseason. That's why, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why I told John Horst that I thought this was the worst team last week when I talked to him. Like, I do. I think this is the worst team. And, you know, I think that's why both of us have been, um, you know, so so adamant about this team is not as good as last year. And is their path to them winning a bunch of games? And is their path uh, to them getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals with this roster? Of course, there absolutely is. But you look at the top-level talent, and they don't have as much le- as they did last year. Malcolm Brogdon was probably pretty confidently a top 70 NBA player, maybe a top 50 NBA player. Um, maybe that number can go even higher, but you know, I think that's the 50 to 70 range is probably where he is. That's significant and not having that uh, really hurts. And that's why, you know, I think maybe on this podcast, we're a little bit more down on this off season than, than some other people on Bucks Twitter. For sure. Do we want to do, there were a number of questions around the Bucks getting better or worse. Do we want to kind of squeeze those in or do you want to push those to tomorrow? You know what? Uh, sure. Let's do them. Let's try to try to knock these out. First one comes from strand at strand one Oh one zero five two on Twitter. Do you think the acquisitions of Corbin Matthews somewhat cushion the blow from the loss of Brogdon at the next trade line? Dread, at the next trade deadline, if the Bucks are in the driver's seat, who would you like to see Horace push to trade for in order to give them a championship edge? I'm not going to answer that question. I have no idea who the Bucks might be able to try to trade for at that time. Those things just pop up. If you would have said, uh, if you would have asked me last year, I would have never said Nikola Mirotic. I would have never thought that, that was a possibility. These things happen too organically for me right now to tell you at the trade deadline, this is who the Bucks should trade for. Um, but to the other part of it, do you think the acquisitions of Corver and Matthew somewhat cushioned the blow from the loss of Brogdon? Um, yes, and let me add in a couple more questions. John Dolezal on Twitter asks, lots of takes on Bucks Twitter that the team is as good or better than last year. Bucks lost Brogdon and Miritich, two guys who are talented and in their prime. As nice as it is to get the vets they did, would you agree it's obvious that the team's talent decreased on the whole? Um, Brady Peterson asks, is there a real argument to say that with the minimum guys we've signed, we could be a better team than last year? And Bill Wesley on Twitter, at Wesley Bill asks, will Robin or Corver have a bigger impact this year? I'd imagine Wes Matthews will have a bigger role than either. Um, I mean, I... As I've said a number of times, Corver is going to be the best shooter that Giannis has ever played for. That has value. That will be useful. Um, Matthews gets threes off a, a whole lot more than Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, is a much more willing shooter, much deeper shooter from three. Um, obviously not quite as accurate, but much more willing. Like, uh, Do I think all of these things are nice? Yes, I do. Um, do I think... Like, so I think you can probably say like Matthews wouldn't have been a part of the offseason if Brogdon was kept. Do I think they still could have got Corver on a minimum? Yeah, probably. 
like that could have happened. So if instead of all these other things, you have Brogdon, uh, a point guard type signed for less than George Hill, uh, Kyle Korver, like, do I think that's better? Yeah, I do. Um, so uh, like, I, I understand the, the desire to want to hope that this is that this team can be better, but I, I just don't see the factual basis for how it, it could be better. Like we, we talked about how last year they had really kind of done a, a nice job maximizing that full potential of the roster with the Hill deal with the Miritich deal. Uh, and obviously the Brogdon injury kind of took them down a peg, but it's not like the Bucks had bad injury luck last year. Like, it was, it was pretty good. Honestly, they had pretty good injury luck the entire season. So, um, you know, I think it could really only injury. I'm not gonna say the injury luck can only be worse. It, it could obviously be better and it'd be a bit of an anomaly, but you know, I think it's likely that the injury luck is probably about the same, maybe a little bit worse. These older guys aren't able to contribute quite as much. Like to, to sum up all those questions, like I think it's really hard. And I've said this in the, the comment section at the athletic to a couple people that have pushed back on me calling this the worst team. Like, I just think it's really hard from a factual perspective um, or, you know, even a prob like a, a probability perspective to say like, Oh yeah, you know, it's likely that this team is better. I, I don't know how you make that argument. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I, I don't really factor Miritich much into like the better versus worse thing because like when you think about it, like Miritich had really nothing to do with the Bucks winning like 60 games. Like, you know, he came in obviously late in the season. He missed a chunk of time in the regular season with injury um and i mean again like i think he was a net positive to have um but like for what he actually contributed um at that point and the fact that he was displacing dj wilson who actually was playing pretty well at the time and you know obviously a better defender overall than nico like do i think that nico meritich actually like you know raised the overall uh, results of last year's team a lot um not really in the regular season. He wasn't really around long enough and like they had injuries and they were kind of like weird, you know, it was like in a weird time where they were resting a lot of guys. Why, do, why does that matter at all compared to this year? I'm just saying it does. I'm just saying like, if you're saying, Oh, the bucks are the bucks and when it'd be a 60 win team this year, I think a lot of people was like, well, they lost Nico. They lost Brogdon. Brogdon, oh, okay. Brogdon yeah. I think matters for sure. Um, I don't really think Nico is, I mean, again, like, would you be more? But I, I would, I would just like yeah. to say, like, to be able to say that, like, that. Uh, it was, here's the know. thing, Nico. It's just, like, Nico, it, like, it's framing it as though it it matters. Like, it, it's framing it in a way that, like, oh, well, that didn't matter anyways. Well, okay, maybe it didn't, but like, DJ Wilson is still blocked. There's, are you? Do you do you understand what I'm saying? I, I don't know if it's coming across as all. Uh, let me just, I just, I just want to say this. Like, to me, what matters is you know, do you have, like, when you think about what, when the Bucks were at their best last year, and to me, like, Miritich was, Miritich's value, and I mean, I was, you know, we were both very much in favor of the trade. I think it was, a, you know, a very reasonable gamble, um, given where the team was. Um, but his, you know, it, that was always, like, theoretical, and we never really saw the theory mm -hmm. actually play out. You know, he obviously 
failed spectacularly against the Raptors. Um, you know, like if you never traded for him and had to take whatever DJ Wilson would have done in his stead, like it couldn't have been much worse. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of one of these things again, like we get into all these kind of small sample type things. Um, but I think Brogdon for sure is the big loss because Brogdon absolutely was obviously a big part of, um, the team winning a ton of games. Right. So, uh, and, and again, like you always take top end talent over, you know, more depth and smaller pieces that complement, right? So um so yeah, I mean I think I think they're clearly less talented, but I do think there's some variables that would allow them to be as good. Um and um I actually kind of run the other question our friend Kurt Lightinger asked um you know the Bucks were 15th second in um three point attempts last year, 15th in uh percentage. Um how do we think those those numbers might evolve this coming year given the roster changes? The obvious thing is I mean I'm really curious if they can lead the league in three-point attempts this year. Um, I mean, the Rockets kind of just own that number. Uh, and Wester Westbrook is not a good shooter, but I don't think he's going to do anything to dissuade them from shooting a lot of threes, both because of his gravity as a driver, as well as the fact that he is not bashful about shooting threes in spite of not being good at them. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, like, you'd throw Matthews and Corver in the mix, replacing Brogdon, who's obviously more of a driver than just a, you know, let it fly type guy. Um, I think that's really interesting. Uh, obviously, again, Miritich wasn't around that long, but, yeah, I mean, he definitely would have been a guy. He was a let it fly guy, which who's who's now out of the, the mix. But um, but I think so. In general, I think the Bucks are going to shoot more threes in, than last year. Um, and I have to think they're going to be more accurate too, because it was a weird year with, you know, Chris bit below his career average, especially from spot up. Bledsoe was about average. You know, he had kind of an inversion of his um, uh, spot up versus um, off the dribble shooting. Uh, and so I think their percentage will go up. Obviously, Brogdon it was a plus shooter, but you're adding <laughs> one of the greatest shooters of all time in Corver, who is going to get up threes no matter whether he's playing a lot of minutes or not. And Matthews, obviously. Um, also, maybe not a percentage guy, but a volume guy who has still shot a reasonable percentage. So, And I think Giannis is virtually assured to shoot a better percentage this year than he did last year, which was obviously kind of weighing them down a bit too. So I think they'll be better. I don't think they're going to be, you know, the, you know, Splash Brothers, um, you know, shooting leading the league in, in three point shooting or anything like that. Um, but I think they can be better. I think there's some upside there. And then, you know, I mean, we've talked about just, you know, we've never seen Giannis not improve. Um, and I think there's reason to think he might perhaps pick his spots a bit more, take more mid range jump shots as he kind of alluded to in your interview with him late in the season. Um, but I think overall, uh, I think he's going to be smarter. I think he's going to be more comfortable in the offense. I think Chris is going to be similarly more comfortable in the offense. I think he's going to have probably a bigger role, which I think might help him as well. Um, so I think there's definitely room to for them to be better. But um, but by the same token, like you know, you just look at Bledsoe, Lopez in particular, guys who really took major steps, had terrific advanced numbers last year. Is there some regression that we might see from them? Is there now you know Bledsoe approaching his 30th birthday? Brooke 31. Um, to me, that's like kind of one of those things. Like if one of those guys like has like a major downturn like we'll be like oh why didn't i guess yeah that could have happened we didn't see it coming so i'll i'll talk about it now just so i'm gonna reverse jinx it and make sure it doesn't happen hopefully but um yeah i mean i think again overall net net you know i i'd say 
I don't think they're going to win 60 games again, but I think that's okay. And ultimately it's just, can they show up for, you know, four straight playoff series in a way that, that uh, enables them to win a championship. And by the way, um, the, when talking about trade targets, um, so I, w- I would be curious to hear your opinion of like, what position do you think the Bucks would look to fortify um, back at the de- Let's assume no like horrific injuries, but which position would you most likely expect the Bucks to want to fortify down the stretch? Um, I mean, to me, when I look at the roster right now, uh, it still seems uh, a short, uh, you know, a guy short in terms of ball handlers. Uh, and so I, um, you know, Dean Maniat had another complimentary tweet of uh, your favorite DJ Augustine today. He's an expiring $7 million <laughs> contract this year. Uh, is there a world, Eric, where Markel Fultz actually starts to be a actual NBA basketball player in Orlando? Because, yes, he is on the Orlando Magic. Uh, and the Magic say, you know what, DJ Augustine, uh, we're okay cutting bait and trading you away as an expiring contract. Um, is there a world where John Hammond uh, and Jeff Weltman trade for like, you know, Ursan and those, I, it pains me too much to say that first round pick, but let's say multiple second round picks plus Ursan for, uh, for DJ Augustine or something at the trade deadline. I don't know. I imagine the magic will be too in love with the idea of, you know, locking down another seven seed to uh, give away their potential starting point card. Um, but maybe there's some version of the world uh, in which uh, you could pry away a guy like that. Um, and in which case, I think, you know, again, uh, like we were saying about some of those other uh, fairly unsexy point guards. Uh, yeah, if DJ Augustine were thrown in and doing stuff instead of uh, Eric Bledsoe in that Raptor series, you'd probably go to the finals. But um, you could probably say that out about a lot of point guards in the NBA. Yeah, I think point guard would be interesting uh, just because obviously you know of Bledsoe's struggles and and what he has looked like in the postseason. Um, I mean, I'd be curious. Oh, it It is just such a cluster at shooting guard. Like, I just don't know how that gets sorted out. Like, you know, I was put as I said, like I'm gonna have this exercise that goes up tomorrow. But you know, it's like putting together a ten man rotation. Uh, you know, I had Pat Connaughton and Sterling Brown on the outside looking in, and if one or one or both aren't on the outside looking in, then that means Dante Divincenzo's on the outside looking in. Like, I I'm really curious to see how, or I guess Wesley Matthews. Um, like I. I don't know how that works out. Like, cause th- th- there are two guys there in DiVincenzo and Brown or Connaughton in Brown or Connaughton and DiVincenzo. However, that works out that are NBA wings. Like those guys, I think Dante has not proven it yet, but his draft status would suggest that he should get minutes and, you know, find a way to contribute. So like, do one of them get moved for some like an upgrade at that position? Do multiples of them get traded for an upgrade at, at that position? Um, I just find myself thinking like, all right, so in that Raptors series, uh, you know, you had Middleton and Brogdon on on Leonard. Like, is I assume it would have been Middleton and Matthews because he does have that that strength and, you know, maybe doesn't have that quickness anymore, but 
you know, I guess maybe that works for, for covering big wings, but also, you know, maybe you don't have a, enough creation off the bounce. Like I still think there's at least a possibility that you're still searching for an upgrade on the wing uh, behind Chris Middleton, or I guess technically alongside Chris Middleton. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Like, is there some consolidation move where, you know, given that you've got a combination of veterans and young guys, I mean, Sterling is coming up on, um, restrictor free agency next summer and we have no idea if he's going to be a guy I mean we saw it last year he kind of wasn't in the rotation early in the season and then actually kind of locked down a rotation spot for much of the you know kind of second half of the season and then ultimately fell out of the rotation um, in against Boston uh, it's a big really big year for him to prove that you know he actually can be a guy that plays every night for a great team um, I think we saw some encouraging signs last year I think he He's grown as a ball handler and attacker, you know, kind of, you know, a guy who can occasionally do things off the dribble, even if that's not really his, his strong suit. Um, an occasional, you know, lefty finish, uh, an occasional uh, pass out of a pick and roll. But again, never going to be like a big calling card for him. But um, but again, I, I think, you know, I think we heard last year maybe before, before he kind of figured things out that it was maybe more more possible than perhaps we were aware that, that he could have get gotten traded a year ago before the season. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. And, um, you know, n- at this point, no indication the Bucks are looking to trade him. Um, but if things don't necessarily go his way, uh, or if the Bucks just feel like they have so many options that, you know, they want to make some kind of move and, and maybe instead of second round picks or first round picks, uh, you know, who knows, maybe there's some team out there that views Sterling Brown as, you know, a nice sweetener in some kind of trade. Um, I, I, nothing would surprise me because again, uh, you've got a lot of options on that wing, as we said, and somebody's going to be left out on any given night. And, um, obviously when you think about, you know, what's going to win in the playoffs, you know, it's not going to be having the best 13th man who doesn't play. <laughs> that, that, that's the last thing that has any value in the playoffs. So, uh, is there a consolidation move to package, you know, Ursan and Sterling Brown and a second round pick for, something of use uh you know that could definitely be something that um that we might see uh depending on kind of how things play out and what the bucks needs might might end up being especially if there's like an injury to a key guy right um then there may be more desperation to try to make a move like that all right um i would say we're about a third of the way through this mailbag uh you guys really brought it this time um, but I think we're going to cut it off there that this is still like an hour plus podcast. So, uh, it just tells you how deep this is and how little we can actually control ourselves when it comes to, uh, keeping our answers short, but that's okay. We'll have more of this tomorrow and probably the next day or no, just wait. This will be for Thursday. So we'll probably have some for Friday. We'll probably have some for Monday. We might even have some for Tuesday. It's going to be a while because we have a bunch of questions to get to. So for tonight, For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been the first part of your mailbag on Locked on Bucks. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.